Welcome to the Fertility Journeys podcast. Here's Dr. Shala Salem. I have Dr. Marissa Long to help me discuss some of the relationship issues that can come up on the journey. Welcome, Dr. Long. Working with the specials is ideal because we were talking about where health and our psychology meet. Things can just get a little bit more complicated. They're very intertwined in ways that the medical knowledge combined with psychological knowledge is very, very helpful to be able to meet someone at that space. Do some consultations with you people until you find someone that really feels like a good and reasonable fit for what it is that you're looking for, one that's specialist or that expert. We work for our clients. They don't have to see us. It is an honor and a privilege for us to work with them and an opportunity. But if it's not a good fit, you actually can tell your therapist, I don't think this is a good fit, or I think I need this other thing that mm-hmm. we have been doing. Can we switch to that? It doesn't always have to be changing the therapist. Sometimes it's changing mm-hmm. the way that we're working with our therapist or the therapist is working with the client. They are our treatment team. And if our treatment team isn't working for us the way that we really need them to, we got to find other people to put on that team. I know the fertility journey is not easy. Many suffer in silence, walking that line between hope and devastation. More often than we know, the path to building a family is met with challenges. I'm Dr. Shala Salem, and for over a decade, I have been helping people just like you on their fertility journey. As a physician and a PCOS warrior who's gone through my own fertility struggles, I am passionate about helping to support your mental and physical well-being, foster your resilience, and help you maintain your sense of self on this difficult journey. I created this podcast to support you. Each week, you can learn from our expert guests about proven holistic and integrative methods to nurture your mind, body, and spirit. And hear women share their own stories to remind you that you are not alone. Welcome to Fertility Journeys. The fertility journey is very challenging, and some of the challenges that many face come up in their relationships, relationships with family, friends, and relationships with partners. On today's episode, I have Dr. Marissa Long to help me discuss some of the relationship issues that can come up on the journey. Dr. Long began her doctorate with a plan to complete specific education, research, and training in reproductive health. Fourteen years later, she is a sought-after expert in the field with a wealth of knowledge and experience in reproductive psychology. She has been dedicated to helping individuals and couples who are going through fertility treatment, as well as women with high-risk pregnancies and pregnancy loss, to manage or relieve the emotional distress associated with these challenges. She has completed research exploring the different types of distress experienced by fertility patients and has developed and implemented a model of care attending to the mental health and support of fertility patients in the REI department of a large-scale medical setting in Central California. Her work with fertility patients incorporates a mind-body approach to wellness, and she often works closely with medical providers to maximize the support patients receive. Dr. Long is the owner and clinical director of ARC Counseling and Wellness, a private practice in Southern California. ARC Counseling and Wellness has four offices staffed by multiple providers across various disciplines, specialties, and areas of expertise. Dr. Long is trained and educated as a health psychologist and thus tends to work with clients who are managing serious health issues or complications. With regards to her fertility work, she enjoys working with clients at any and all points along their journey, whether that be during fertility treatments, assessment for gestational carriers and donors, transition to pregnancy, and postpartum. Welcome, Dr. Long. Thank you so much for being here today. 
Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to talk about this topic that I love so much. I think it's really important to discuss the topic of relationships and infertility. I think it's something that, to be honest, I'm not sure gets enough attention because we know that infertility can affect every aspect of one's life. And one of the important areas is that it can affect our relationships. Why do you think that it's something that really impacts every relationship that we may face? Fertility, pregnancy, postpartum period, it is so integrated into our lives, right? And so we don't have the ability to be going through something that is reaching every facet of our life and have it be completely separated Mm -hmm. from any one thing, really. If we try to do that, it's extremely difficult and it comes with a great deal of hardship. Yeah, I totally agree. We're going to get into this further, but I want to have a little bit of understanding about your background and how you got into this field. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, when I was growing up as a young girl, I just came across someone who was a surrogate, a gestational carrier. And I thought that was the coolest thing. And I had set out in my mind to become a surrogate myself. And that that never happened. But that interest and introduction to the area of fertility really sparked something for me. And it just carried through to becoming a health psychologist and focusing reproductive health. Wow, that's fascinating. That's really mm-hmm. your life's passion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I was about 10 when that first started. Yeah, and one of the things I talk a lot about on this show, and I'm sure that you see that, is people waiting a long time, unfortunately, to get the support that they need on this journey. I really find that even if I suggest it to patients, most of the time people say, well, I'm fine. I'm okay. I don't think I need to see anybody at this point. And I really like to stress that as you know, we talked about in your bio that everybody along the way really should seek help. Why is it so important to get help really at the very beginning of this journey? At the very beginning, you're right. We don't know what's coming along mm-hmm. this journey. We don't know what twists and turns and pains and aches are going to unfold as we are moving forward. We don't know how we're going to deal with it. We don't know what's going to happen in our relationships related to it, work in our family system, we, we just don't know. And so you're right, a lot of people do try to avoid it until they're in real deep need. But then, I don't wanna say that it's too late, but mm-hmm. so much could have been done had they sought yeah. out that support really early on, even if it's by way of something that is my favorite for folks, identifying a provider that can support them and mm-hmm. just having a couple sessions and then just keeping a finger on that pulse so that they know they can just pop in if and when they need that support. That provider will also give the clients insight about what to look for, how to attend to some things that pop up that you just otherwise don't know. Totally agree. I think that unfortunately, in general, in medicine, we don't pay enough attention to mental health and mental well-being, which is why I bring up this topic so often on the podcast. And it's, you know, it's really unfortunate because in conventional medicine, we've completely discounted the connection between mind and body and how important that is. 
And and it's hard, I know, for a lot of people, they may not have access, they may not have coverage, which makes it even harder for them to get help. And so that's why I like to just bring up the importance of these topics here on the show, just to really stress how important it is. And I think one of the areas that's real difficult, obviously, that people can face is difficulties with relationships with partner. So that's the first thing I think about is that nobody wanted to be in the place and seeing me or, to be honest, working with either of us, right? Nobody Mm -hmm. wanted that. But that's something that they've been faced with this challenge now. What are some of the challenges that someone can see in the relationship with their partner? There's so many, to be honest. It's kind of limitless, unfortunately. Right. Some of the most common would be mm-hmm. that partners are often just on different pages, mm-hmm. either about what type of journey they want to intentionally approach in terms of the emotions that they experience along the path, because of course, often the treatments are focused on the female partner in a relationship. Yes. And so the other partner often just doesn't have as much to do and doesn't carry as much of the weight mm-hmm. at times. Yeah. Does it have to deal with the treatments and medication and all mm-hmm. of those sorts of things? So there's difference in how the fertility journey is experienced. Yeah, definitely. The losses, everything. As you mentioned, a lot of difficulties can come up when partners have different ideas about how they envisioned or where they're going to start. Treatment options, are we going to pursue doing treatment at all? Or sometimes partners are not going to be in agreement and someone might not agree or someone thinks they should be doing intrauterine insemination or IVF or how to make decisions on embryo testing or how many embryos to transfer. I mean, there's so many different or even to take a break. You know, I see sometimes (laughs) one partner wants to take a break and thinks it's really important and one doesn't. What are some things that partners can do besides working with someone like you? And of course, I want you to go into that a little bit more. How do they get on the same page on some of these difficult issues? Believe it or not, I often have my couples do a regular meeting. So in the meeting, they would be just checking in with each other. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling along this process? What do you want to do next? What are you comfortable with spending? Who else should we involve in this process? And just checking in with each other every two to four weeks to just mm-hmm. see where we're at along the process and throughout the process. It can get tedious, but it's really, really important because a lot of times without that like definitive check-in, there's an assumption or a hope mm-hmm. that yeah. we're on the same page. Like, yeah, I think that's a great idea. And what about couples like coming to therapy with you? I know sometimes both partners are going to be even in agreement on that, where one Mm. will want to and one may not. How do they Mm -hmm. navigate that? Yeah, you know, it depends on the provider that you see, but Mm -hmm. I I have a way about getting both parties in the room. So if one person shows up, it's just a matter of time before we get the other one in. Mm-hmm. But I, I think with therapy at all times when it comes to a couple, whether it's related to the fertility journey or just having a healthy relationship, there's a bit of a plea that can happen with the party that wants to go into therapy. And I think that person, if there is just one, it falls on them to really express and explain why it's mm-hmm. so important to them, what it means to them, and how their partner can be helpful to them and to the relationship. Yeah by joining them in that. And that's reducing the defenses that sometimes can come up in mm-hmm. the question of, can you join me in therapy? By naming yeah. what it's really about and that it's not about the partner necessarily. Right. It's about the support and being a team. 
it's important. Not everybody has gone to therapy before. So sometimes they're kind of nervous, like, what is that? Why do we have to do that? Or I don't have an issue. Unfortunately, there's a stigma that's still attached to working with someone like you, which is really unfortunate. And, you know, I hope we're starting to see some changes in this time now, but we still have so much work to do. One of the things that I see also with partners is, and I've had patients tell me, you know, feelings of guilt that they're the cause of being there. And I wanted you to talk to us a little bit about that. Of course, you know, this is misappropriated guilt, but it's something that commonly happens. I've had even women tell me, well, maybe I should have my partner find somebody else, somebody else that can have a child with him, which breaks my heart. But I want to hear from you. How do you handle situations like that? Yeah, well, I think it's important to recognize that the fertility process, not being able to readily have a child when you want to, is a grief process. Right. And when grief is present, we seek blame. And whether it's male factor, female factor, unknown factor, combined factor, we seek blame to try to get a sense of control. And so we want to work with our clients, either as a physician or as a therapist, to really try to dilute that as much as possible and, and to get rid of it because there is no intentionality behind these factors. It just is sometimes. And so when mm-hmm. that guilt is present, it can take a, a great deal of work for the individual and for the couple to almost override that feeling and mm-hmm. to just face the fertility issue as a team and kind of attack it head on as opposed to one person attacking themselves or a partner kind of attacking each other in that. A lot of the treatment does happen to fall on the female partner. Right. And so sometimes there's this somewhat of an anger or blame, as you said, that some women are not perhaps the cause and they're angry that they're there and having to go through all of this and their partner seemingly maybe doesn't have to go through treatment. And so I think sometimes we can see that as a, an issue as well. Absolutely. That's, that's pretty common. And it's difficult and it weighs on the relationship. One of the other things we see in relationships with partners is issues with sexual intimacy. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that and why we see that and what are some of the steps that we can do to help with that. Yeah, absolutely. It's fairly common. One of the main reasons is because the fertility process really interrupts the natural flow of sexual interaction between a couple, right? So there's timing, there's tests to take, there's expectations that are tied to the sexual experience, which takes it away from just being something that's enjoyable where the couple used to join together. So all of these kind of ifs, ands, and buts that enter into the sexual experience really shift, you know, how couples experience, enjoy, and want to engage sexually with one another. And unfortunately, when that's not attended to, that can have impacts for the entirety of the relationship beyond the fertility process. I've seen that many times. Yeah. And I see oftentimes where we, let's say, for example, the you know male partner has to produce a sample and may have trouble to produce a sample for in intrauterine insemination or in vitro fertilization on the day of egg retrieval. There's a lot of pressure leading up to that day. And then we see a lot of tension there. And it's, it's common, right, to see these kind of things. Very, very common, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And you used a great word there, you said pressure. Pressure in any 
sexual experience, pressure in any bodily experience is really tough. We're not supposed to experience pressure in those situations. And so even in a sample production effort, that pressure can mean I can't produce a sample, Mm -hmm. right? That pressure can mean I feel like I'm letting my partner down, Yep. right? It can bring up a lot. And for some people, rather than attending to what's really present, it can cause an avoidance, it can cause a blame, it can cause Mm -hmm. um, sensitivity. Lots of emotions show up when pressure is at play. Yeah, and then it can sometimes spark anger from the other partner because Mm -hmm. I expected you to, you know, be here and be able to do this and I am waiting and we spent all this money and it brings up a lot of emotions on the other partner's part as well. And so that only heightens and escalates that other partner who now has this pressure to be Mm -hmm. able to produce a sample or what have you. Absolutely. And also because our sexual experiences, we are obviously very much taught most of us mm-hmm. based, to be very private. And mm-hmm. so now when you're having to go into a medical setting, into a little mm-hmm. room in an office and engage in that way and produce a sample, that's not mind altering in and of itself, right? So there's a whole other pressure just with the environment, the situation. And then you have to bring maybe the sample from home or produce right. in the office. And it does produce a lot of anxiety, unfortunately. You know, a lot yeah. of the challenges that come up on the fertility journey are very anxiety provoking. How can a partner support a partner who they think might be going through intense anxiety or sometimes, unfortunately, some partners may face depression on this journey as well? Yeah. So this is where the check-ins come in handy for sure. If couples are checking in on a regular basis, honestly, the best thing to do is just ask and like, hey, I've noticed this. Are you going through anything that we would benefit from talking about? I'm here. It seems like that. It seems like this. I really encourage couples to use tentative language when talking about these sorts of things rather than saying, you've been really X, right? It seems like you might be X lately, or I've noticed a little bit of this lately. Can we talk about that, right? So letting that language be tentative so that the partner doesn't feel like they're being told how they feel. Right. Yeah, I like that approach. That definitely would seem like it would change how you would feel receiving that information. And right. so I think that's really important, having the right approach. Absolutely. And those are some of the things we talk about in the couple's work. Mm-hmm. Do you find that it's important for couples really to work with someone like you throughout the whole process, if possible? It depends. It depends on the couple. Depends on on the parties involved. Like I said, I really encourage people to come in early, have a couple of sessions just to establish the care and the relationship. And some couples really benefit from or need to come in weekly, all the way throughout. Some couples come in monthly or quarterly or right Mm -hmm. before important procedures or right after important procedures. So it really kind of depends. Ideally, the, the right provider would have some flexibility with that. So that they can really attend to what that couple specifically needs. Because our work isn't and shouldn't be one size fits all. One of the other challenges that couples can face is, you know, there are situations where a woman may be faced with the decision of using an egg donor. And vice versa, the male partner may be faced with the decision of using a sperm donor, which can be very challenging and difficult 
knowing that in this situation, your genetics won't be represented in the pregnancy, it can be hard. How do you handle those situations with patients? Yeah, it's honestly a good amount of processing, processing through the potential feelings of grief and loss of having a child that is genetically found uh, of both parties, changing how they originally thought this process would happen for them. Yet again, there's also a lot of planning and discussion that typically needs to happen about who's going to know, how are you going to tell family members or are you, how and when are you going to tell the child to be born from this process? Mm-hmm. All of those things are really important to consider beforehand and before making that decision. And then, you know, how the couple chooses the donor is also an important and very personal process. Yeah. And I think that even more speaks to working with someone like yourself during the process of making these decisions, because I think sometimes we also think that once we make the decision and we move on, then we're going to be okay. But some of these things can, if you are successful in the journey, they can come up later on during pregnancy or postpartum or further on down the road, as you mentioned in the child's life, how are we going to talk to the child about this? So it's really important to look at these things now. Right. And I think Unfortunately, a lot of times couples just kind of can hurry through that process mm-hmm. and yep. the effort to make the best use of time because we know time is up as it's a long history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is one of the challenges is that sometimes we are also pressed for time, which that's another thing that can sometimes come up in relationships. I do sometimes have patients who really feel, especially female partners, they're very concerned about the time and they need to get going, but they may have a male partner that is not really on board with with moving on treatment. And they feel this intense pressure that they really need to get going, but he's really not there yet and not ready. Right. How do you address that? Yeah, that's one of the tougher issues that comes up especially because often the age factor for men versus women is very different. And so mm-hmm. men aren't socialized and, and uh, even biologically uh, inclined to worry about the time frame right. like women are, right? And so honestly, a lot of the discussions around that is really a lot of psychoeducation, psychoeducation about mm-hmm. what is happening with the body and how that ends up also impacting our emotions and our behavior related to this timing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the psychoeducation and then just pulling for the empathy from the partners about that so that they can find themselves a little closer to being on the same page. Yeah. And I think that's really important because I do see partners who are really not able to communicate why it's so important that they move forward. And that's why I think it's important working with someone like yourself to be able to really have an understanding of why it's important to her biologically and also emotionally, the whole process to, and then being able to make a decision together about how to proceed. That's right. And you, you used the key word there, which is communicate. Now, some couples have great communication and they're really connected. And so they go into this process thinking, we'll be fine. And and sometimes they are, but most people are not socialized to talk about sex, to talk about our bodies, to talk about any of these things that are in the fertility journey, fertility process. I bet we're not socialized to do that. So it's really the first time 
most people have ever had to think about it, let alone have very difficult conversations about it. And so that's where a trained therapist or psychologist mm -hmm. can be of great assistance because we do it all day. And right. we know how to very gently bring in and massage these topics. I mean, it's a wonderful point because, as you said, we're not expecting to be here. And so here we are faced with all these things that most of the time people don't even have an understanding of, you know, how their bodies work and how their cycles work. And now we're in the middle of having to do all this medical stuff that we never thought we'd had to deal with. So right. it can be really challenging. Are there other things that you see commonly that can impact a relationship between partners? The family. So extended mm -hmm. family and close friends, believe it or not, how we decide as a couple to engage or not engage those people ends up mm -hmm. impacting the relationship. Yes. So if the couple doesn't figure that out together really early on, a whole bunch of questions end up showing up typically at inconvenient times. And we have to tell my mom, like, I don't like talking to your mom. I don't want her to know this mm -hmm. private thing or mm -hmm. however that may go. Well, my cousin is having this baby shower and they were expected to attend. Like I can't possibly manage that right now, but mm -hmm. the family doesn't know about a fertility journey. So how other family members and friends are informed or not, and the plan that the couple creates about that really, really important to the relationship as well. Yeah, I think family and relationships are so difficult because they're already complicated mm -hmm. without adding this subject into that and now adding family into a subject you thought you'd never have to discuss. Right. And family, unfortunately, especially in some families and some cultures, they feel sort of open to talk about things that really probably shouldn't be talking about, saying things about when are you going to give me a grandchild and how come we haven't seen a baby yet? And all of these things that are so inflammatory and triggering. And right. in their mind, they think that it's like kind of joking and jest and, you know, all of that. But they are not understanding that their daughter or son is upset about the situation. Yeah. And then right. it also depends on their family's relationship, I imagine, right? So like how mm -hmm. close you are with certain family members. Correct. Right. Absolutely. I've even seen that kind of joking get carried away to levels where people might say something like, oh, well, maybe she's just frigid and that's why you guys haven't had a baby yet. You know, things like that. Mm -hmm. That can be just so, yeah. so hurtful. And then, of course, that comes back to the couple. Like, why does auntie so-and-so even know about this or whatever it may be? And then mm -hmm. the couple is having problems about these, like I said, family members or loved ones. It's really important because a lot of times I do think in situations women tend to get the brunt of this. Unfortunately, people tend to assume that women are the issue or there's something wrong with her. And not that we should be blaming either partner. I don't want to say that. Sure. But women tend to get all the comments. You, you've gained a little weight. Are you pregnant? Maybe you're pregnant. Or so-and-so is having a baby. It would be nice if you guys were pregnant at the same time. And and so I think it can be important for if you have a male partner, to help to support you in those situations? What kind of things can the partner do to try to help mitigate those types of triggers? Yeah, again, that comes to the communication. So at that regular meeting or in your therapy work, I often help clients come up with a few key phrases that they just keep in their back pocket 
so that they know when they're out or at a family event or whatever it might be, how to like step in and what to say in a variety of situations to offload the pressure from one or the other. So it, for either party, actually. So mm-hmm. that might be something as simple as, oh, it'll happen when it happens and change the subject. It might be redirecting and setting boundaries, like things for your interest, but that's not something that we're talking about right now so that that mm-hmm. the person who is directly attended to about it doesn't have to answer. It can be a, a signal on the face or a code word that they use between each other so that they know it's time to get out of there. So mm-hmm. those sorts of things can be really, really helpful when the partners are really connected about it so that when they're in these other situations, it just kind of flows the way that they had planned. Right. Yeah, I think those are great tips. I think sometimes also you may decide to share this information with a close family member or friend, and you may not get the response you expected. How do you handle that situation? Yeah, well, often when we don't get a response that we expected, the outcome is extremely, extremely hurtful. And so there's just a processing of that and invalidating of that experience, you know, when the partner can be there to support and listen to that, it's tremendously helpful rather than shoving away like, oh, you should feel that way. You shouldn't think that way. That's Mm -hmm. almost never helpful, but rather just sit, be present and validate what someone is experiencing, what they are thinking about. Yeah, I think it's hard because you know you may have a complicated relationship with your mom, for example, but we always anticipate that somehow that might change. Right. That you might get a different response today, even though we know that how your mom is and we know how she responds to things, but we always somehow expect it's going to be different this time. And now you're vulnerable and you tell her and then she's like, well, why are you doing that? And why do you need that? And you don't need that. Um, yeah. It can be really difficult to handle a situation like that. Absolutely. And it's it's very, very common, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I see with the most is dread a baby shower, you know, or yeah. other holiday family gathering events mm-hmm. where the situation itself is already pretty difficult for those on the family journey. But then right. people are saying things or expecting things and managing the disappointment, managing the hurt, managing the frustration. And honestly, a lot of anger could come up yeah. for folks along this process. And, and then very typically what accompanies the anger is shape, you know, mm-hmm. um, and shame is always followed by it should or, or initiated by it should. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I should have told them. I shouldn't have told them something of right. that sort that, that, again, takes a lot of processing. I think there's no, like, right or wrong about how you navigate. That's just, you know, how you're feeling at the time. You felt like you wanted to tell your mom. And then all of a sudden, here you are going, oh, I shouldn't have told her. Right. You know, you wanted to share the experience. and I And I tell patients usually to try to find one person at least that they Mm. could be confiding in and that could be outside of their partner if they're able to have a friend or someone who's a family member who would be that support person for them because it it's tough and sometimes also I I don't know if you see this it's sometimes you may have feelings that you're not and that's why I'm sure it's helpful to have someone like yourself because sometimes you have feelings that maybe you're not open to sharing with even your partner do you see that absolutely absolutely Um, Mm -hmm. I want to attend to kind of both identifying a person that even if it's just one person that you can have to support you outside your partner is really necessary for most people. Mm -hmm. The key though is to have a person who you feel really safe to communicate 
exactly what you need from them because people don't know. They just have no clue. And so yeah. this would be a person that you can say, hey, um, I can't tolerate questions like blah, blah, blah that you asked yesterday. Could you not do that? And that person go, absolutely. So sorry, I won't do it again and be able to step up and move right. forward. Or like, hey, this week I really just need violence and I just need to know that you're over there. So if you're going to text me, only text me emojis and I, nothing that I have to respond to. Or mm-hmm. like, I need you to come over and bring ice cream and I just want to cry for a bit. Someone who can just go with you, whatever the spaces that you need. To be honest, those people are pretty rare. Yeah. <laughs> but when you have them, directly asking them for that is is the best. It's hard, as you said, to find that because sometimes having an understanding of what it's like being on the fertility journey is really difficult when you haven't done it. Right. And so your friend really wants to be there, but she may not have a full understanding of that. And so that's where sometimes you may need to know the limits of that situation. Right. And the person that we're looking for in those instances is someone that's just very empathetic. Mm -hmm. Someone who doesn't make things about themselves and that can just create space for whatever thoughts or feelings that you have at any time. And because it can be very hard to find that person, that's again where the therapist can be such Mm -hmm. a great, great resource. Yeah. And I wanted to also talk to you, you know, you're very experienced in the field, but sometimes somebody may not have access to that, but working with a therapist who has experience in the field is really important. Yeah. Touch on that. Right. Absolutely. There's lots of different specialties in in the field of psychology. Mm -hmm. And that being said, most people don't get training in the specialty areas. We get training on that kind of general track or like a family track or adults or children. So when at all possible, and to your point, it's not always possible, working with the specials is ideal because we were talking about health in particular and where health and our psychology meet, things can just get a little bit more complicated. They're very intertwined in ways that the medical knowledge combined with psychological knowledge is very, very helpful to be able to meet someone at that space. But you can't meet with someone who has a, a very, very intimate knowledge of that connection. I don't want to say the next step down, but the next type of therapist that you might want to work with is mm-hmm. a like medical or health therapist in general. So mm-hmm. reproductive psychologist right. or therapist and then health therapist or psychologist. And then from there, someone who you can sit with and have maybe a consultation with and just kind of assess for their comfort and their knowledge around the area and do some consultations with a few people until you find someone that really feels like a good and reasonable fit for what it is that you're looking for, one that's specialist or that expert is not mm-hmm. available. It's important to find someone you're comfortable with. And mm-hmm. if you don't feel comfortable with someone, finding someone else. Absolutely. Because I think sometimes people are just like, oh, therapy is not for me. And they leave. And then they mm-hmm. don't do it anymore. And maybe that just wasn't a good fit. Like you have to also right. fit with your doctor. You have to fit with your therapist. Yes. I say that all the time. We work for our clients. They don't have to see us. It is an honor and a privilege for us to work with them and an opportunity. Mm -hmm. But if it's not a good fit, you actually can tell your therapist, I don't think this is a good fit or I think I need this other thing that Mm -hmm. we have been doing. Can we switch to that? It doesn't always have to be changing the therapist. Sometimes it's changing Mm -hmm. the way that we're working with our therapist or the therapist is working with the client. But absolutely, Mm -hmm. we can change our therapist, change our physicians, and we should. 
they are our treatment team. And if our treatment team isn't working for us the way that we really need them to, we got to find other people to put on that team. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And do you think that there's, you know, a role for selecting a therapist who maybe has some either of a certain ethnicity or background that is similar to yours? So sometimes I feel like you can have a better connection with somebody like that. Absolutely. I think for many people, having a therapist that has any number of similarities to us can feel very freeing in terms of how we can approach them. It can create a greater sense of safety for many people and a greater uh, ability to just sink into the work and get into the depth of it, as opposed to sometimes people kind of tiptoeing around uh, until they Mm -hmm. can really feel comfortable having Mm -hmm. similarities in culture and ethnicity and gender Mm -hmm. sometimes can help us just get past those boundaries that we might even unintentionally put up. Maybe you're seeing somebody and they're not familiar with your background or your culture or Mm -hmm. your religion or whatever the case may be, or gender, like you said, gender issues. So it's important to find someone that you connect with. And those are other great questions during consultation with any provider as well to see if a person is outside of what you might have been seeking, but you want to see it, and not test, but understand like how they understand who you are and where you come from and how that plays out in the process that you're seeking to, to do with them. What are your thoughts on group therapy or group sessions? There might be someone out there who can't afford to work one-on-one with someone like you, or they don't have the coverage for that, but they still want to get some help, which I encourage everyone to do. What are your thoughts that some of these groups that they have, maybe like Resolve, where you can find, you know, some support there? I think it's fantastic. Anytime, and I'll I'll be honest, it is hard getting people into groups. People naturally do not Mm -hmm. want to do groups. And I cannot tell you how many times I have referred people to groups. And I have a way of doing where I kind of plant seeds early and often Mm -hmm. and finally get someone over there. Every time they are flabbergasted at how helpful it is. It's an amazing thing to sit across from people who are going through the same thing as you or who are a few steps ahead of where you are Mm -hmm. or a few steps behind where you are. And the feeling that you get from being supported by someone who's already done it and supporting other people who have yet to do it. It Mm -hmm. is such a benefit. And I wish that every single person on the fertility journey could give it a try. It takes people like you and me to often encourage and help people find those resources. Yeah, I think people are just unfortunately feel vulnerable to share. And that's why I think we see a lot of people popping up on social media because there's Mm -hmm. a level of anonymity there in some situations. Sure. And social media, I have a love-hate relationship with that Uh. because... (laughs) I mean, it's great because the infertility community is thriving on there. But what are some of the downfalls you see with social media? I tend to think of social media in some ways as a little bit of a microcosm for the rest of the world. Of course, there's extremes on social media that we don't have in the real world. But when we're on social media, we tend to be seeing everyone's best when we're feeling our worst. And so being able to really hold that reality with every swipe and scroll is almost impossible. So finding a way to uh, really limit our access to certain things, whether it's time, whether it's unfollowing accounts that are no longer making us feel good, 
specifically following accounts that that really do and that support us. I encourage people mm-hmm. to create separate, uh, completely separate Instagram accounts for their fertility journey. And mm-hmm. that's where they keep all of those things so that their regular account, they're not scrolling past that sort of information when they're not specifically wanting to. Um, mm-hmm. There's lots of ways to really make the best use out of social media. And there's a whole lot of ways to feel really bad and be negatively mm-hmm. impacted by social media. Unfortunately, social media gives the opportunity for this comparison game of like, oh, I saw so-and-so on social media and she got eight eggs and she had this many embryos and how come I didn't have that? And thinking, I mean, I get a lot of questions about, well, I saw somebody and they had 15 eggs and like, how come that didn't happen for me? And I saw this other woman and she had to go through seven IVF cycles. Is that going to be my story? And so that's one of the dangers of being on Mm -hmm. there. What kind of advice do you have for that? Honestly, my main piece of advice that people don't typically take is just don't do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I also have a low-hate relationship, maybe more on the hate side of social media, but to really know yourself and check in with what is real for you are those things that tend to make you extra sensitive, make you extra emotional, cause a lot of difficulty. Mm-hmm. That is true for you. Completely stay away from it and have someone help keep you accountable to mm-hmm. that. If you are able to really well balance, take information in and then setting up a boundary for yourself, then then do so and and use that as a benefit. Being realistic with how we use social media and Mm -hmm. how we're impacted by it is is probably the first step. The other thing about social media is that, you know, depends on if you're on there anonymously. So there's a possibility of you somehow interacting with family on social media with your fertility journey and having people comment or say something that you didn't want to have to encounter or hear, whether you're anonymous or not anonymous. Um, So there's still possibility of family input that comes in there and friends as well. Right. Right. Absolutely. And that's where that completely separate account can come in. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. The one thing I also wanted to ask you about, about social media is about sharing your story. What are your thoughts about sharing your story and what are some of the downfalls with doing that? I think sharing our stories can be tremendously powerful, though empowered by it. That's not true for everybody, though. So going back to what I'm saying a moment ago, really knowing yourself and knowing what's true for you is key to start that. And then thinking about if I am going to share, what are the boundaries or parameters of that in terms of what I share, who I share it with? how I open myself to receive feedback, right? Turning off comments or leaving comments on mm-hmm. that sort, um, I think are really important to think about so that we can be mindful taking care of ourselves first. But sharing our story, I think, can be tremendously helpful to us. It's mm-hmm. a part of the processing. Uh, when anybody experiences trauma, a common thing mm-hmm. that you know happens in their process is we experiencing the trauma by processing it. And right. oftentimes in sharing our story, that's exactly what we're doing. So it can be tremendously beneficial, but we do it, I'll say, without thought, without regard to who we actually are, what we actually need, mm-hmm. really open ourselves up to a lot of hurt that then we have to kind of scramble and repair from. And we're already going through challenges so much. and then maybe having to navigate certain comments or like mm-hmm. I said, comparison. Yeah. Social media, I have... I don't know, I've become more on the hate side lately, but <laughs> but I do think that if you surround yourself around the right positive people, like you said, and really being selective of the accounts that you 
follow and you view and muting certain accounts who are maybe sharing things that you don't want to see because, you know, there are situations where people on the fertility journey, they have success. And then sometimes you're not ready to see that success at that time you're in. So it's important, like you said, having awareness of what's okay for you at that time. And then allowing yourself to check in because that may change. I've seen it happen from one week to the next. Oh yeah, I think I'm totally fine with this. This person shared this and it stung a little bit, but it was okay. And I think it was helpful. And then the next week there's like rage Mm -hmm. about something that's very, very similar. And it's because we shift. Right, which is perfectly mm-hmm. normal and natural and okay. But being able to ride the wave of ourself along the journey is also very, very important. Yeah, I think that's a great, a great point. One of the things I wanted to ask you about when it comes to friend relationships is that the idea that your friendships may change after this situation. And then some people actually lose friends during this process because they may have friends that are successful or have children and they don't, and they don't have the same connection anymore. They don't have the similar interests anymore. How to handle and navigate that? And I know that's a giant question, but just maybe some tips that you have for that. Yeah, it is a a really giant question. But one of the things that I really encourage people to do early on, again, is write up a letter, write up a letter that's brushing some broad strokes for those people that are close in our lives and Mm -hmm. allow that letter really early on to communicate. I'm going through something that's kind of difficult. I'm not exactly sure how this is going to go for, you may notice this, you may notice this. I may be able to engage with this. Mm -hmm. I may not be able to engage with that. I don't really know right now. I will do my best to communicate it to you in advance. Please know that I love you and I care about you along this path and try not to take anything personally. I'm giving you this heads up. The heads up can change Mm -hmm. so much, so very much. And also it can change the amount of pressure that the fertility clinic feels when Mm -hmm. you get that announcement in the mail or see something on social media because you've already set the stage for Mm -hmm. however you need to show up. Really and letting helpful. them know that maybe you're not going to attend an event, as you said, even though you're going to send a gift that you won't be able to attend and just communicating with them. I think that's really important. I love that idea. That's a great mm-hmm. idea. Do you have any other advice or tips? What are some things that you talk to patients commonly about for relationships in general as we wrap up here? Well, you're hearing a a really common thread in here, and it's just communication. Mm -hmm. So from the very beginning of entering this process or or noting the difficulty that one is maybe having or couples having, like, conceive, communicating with your partner for sure, identifying who's in kind of your primary circle and your secondary and tertiary circles and how and what you need to communicate along the way or from the very beginning. That I have seen over all of the years of my work be really the most important and defining issue to approach to prevent hardship, heartache along the way. So how we communicate, who we communicate to, what we communicate. And again, we are not socialized to do that. So being mindful that this is new and seeking help and support in figuring out how to do this is great. It's really important to our relationships so that we can come out of this journey in our relationships, having them be even healthier and even stronger, which is very, very possible. 
and and how it's why. That's really, really important. Just having that communication with everyone in your life, which is hard, right? It's hard if we're not used to that, if that's not something that you tend to do, but that's something that's right. going to really help you during this process. Thank you so much for all of your advice and all the work you do. How can listeners connect with you? Yeah, well, thank you. And thank you for supporting the community with this podcast and your work as well. Clients can reach out or people can reach out at any time to Arts Counseling and Wellness. Our website, ArtsCounselingandWellness.com, all spelled out through uh, social media as well. Because we're not in love with social media, we're more in love with connecting with our clients and, and people who are interested in real time. We may not be on there every single day, but folks can send us messages through there as well by our email at contact at arccounselingandwellness.com. Um, ARC is just A-R-C. Any of those ways are, are great to, to get a hold of us for individual work or groups sometimes that we offer um, consultations, all of those sorts of things. Well, thank you so much. I like to yeah. ask all my guests how they cultivate joy in their life, because I think it's so important for us to try to make an effort to find joy in our daily lives. We're constantly waiting in our lives for things to be joyful, how you find joy. Many ways, many, many, many ways. So I'll tell you a couple of the, the kind of little daily ones and then a, a pretty major one for me. So little daily ones is I live very near the mountains and, and really enjoy noticing that. And so every single day, I look at those mountains and just notice their beauty. And so just being able mm-hmm. to take in little things around me. I also get a lot of joy from people in my life and connecting with them by phone or in person and cooking for them. And then my favorite way is to dance. I started dancing when I was two. And so anytime I can be in a studio with really loud music and connecting with my body, and this is something that I recommend to clients who have that affinity as well, uh, mm-hmm. because it allows them in some ways a sense of like control and mastery when we don't always have that love the fertility journey. So yeah, music and dancing is, is such a joyful, wonderful experience for me. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think it is important to really connect with the things that bring you joy, as you mentioned, you know, whether that be dance or music, because so often kind of lose ourselves on the journey. Absolutely. Yeah, well, thank you so much again for your time and for being here with me today. Thank you. The Fertility Journeys Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review or tag us on Instagram at Fertility Journeys Podcast. This will help us to spread awareness and reach new listeners. Episodes drop every week, and you can learn more at fertilityjourneys.org. Next time on the Fertility Journeys Podcast. I get a lot of questions from patients about endometriosis. So I was really excited to be able to speak with Dr. Tayeba Ahmed. She's been treating pelvic pain since the inception of pelvic rehabilitation medicine. Amongst my friends, I hear it all the time. They should tell me about your mom's period. Mm-hmm. Tell me about if anyone had a hysterectomy, surprisingly or unexpectedly. Majority of patients don't get into period pain with their family. So some do, some don't. But, you know, having that conversation, reaching out to your family, your maternal lineage to see if, if that's along the family side. And then sometimes they come back and their follow-up and they say, you know what, I found out my aunt has it, my cousin has it, and I don't know whether they're going to do anything about it. I want to do something about it. So, This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. 
please consult with your own physician as information shared on this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice.